Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Everyone and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Monday to you. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, how was your weekend? It was good, Randy, from a personal side, from a sports side. Not so great for our St. Louis teams. Not great. We'll, we'll get things going a little bit. And as hopefully as time goes on, well... Yeah, I don't know. Well, the Blues are running out of time, Randy. That's the problem there. They the are. Blues are and running out of time. There does not appear to be at least from my observation, a tremendous amount of urgency on the part of the Blues to get things going. Some periods, it feels that way. Mm -hmm. But for three periods for a consistent game, I'm not getting that sense either. And I wonder what's happened. And, hey, it happens with every NHL head coach, right? That eventually the... And I'm not suggesting that Craig Berube is doing anything different than he did two years ago when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Players are different, and maybe they just start saying, you know what, we, we think we're good enough. We're, we're putting their hands up and saying, we're good. Because Saturday's game was a game where if you're the Blues, that's a must win. Must win. And they get the lead, and even then with the lead, the start isn't great. And then... Arizona gets back in the game. Arizona takes the lead. And I didn't see an awful lot there that led me to believe that the Blues are going, that they really want to make the playoffs. No, you certainly did not get that sense watching it at home. And to your point about Craig Berube, during that stretch run for the Blues and even before the pandemic caused the 2020 season to stop, he had the magic touch. Whatever personnel decisions he made, whatever line pairings that he would put out there, it seemed like he was able to fix whatever ailed the team and extract the best out of his players. And when I look at that Shen Schwartz-Tarasenko line and the, the lack of production that they've had, he's been trying to shake it up and find different pairings and figure out a way to do what he's done so many times in the past and it's not really working so i i don't know if you're craig berube what you do at this point and i don't think the time off here is a good thing for the blues i think at one point it was but now because of the covid situation in colorado so tomorrow's game has been postponed i don't think having sunday monday tuesday wednesday off for the blues is a good thing i think they they need to play games and i I don't know what they're going to gain from practicing for three or four days because what what their problem is is urgency mm-hmm. it's consistent 60 minute effort 
to be at home, you're not going to get that sense of urgency. You're going to relax more, spend time with your family. Um, yeah, you'll have practice. You'll have some team obligations. But I'm with you. When the Blues were in that rut a few weeks ago and we spoke to David mm-hmm. Perron, he was excited to get back out there and try to right the ship. He wanted to go to practice. He wanted to go back to the games. And if the Blues do have that fight in them and they do have that sense of urgency, then you need to get them in the games. We need to have the games. So I'm with you. I think this lull is not going to be great for them. And as they try to come back, and they do trail Arizona now in the standings, but they have to hope that Arizona loses. And then you've got Colorado for a couple of games Thursday and Saturday. You're at Minnesota. And granted, you handled Minnesota the last time you played them, but there are no guarantees about that. Uh, Then once you get to May, you've got Minnesota, Anaheim, a couple of times Vegas, and the Kings and then Minnesota again. So once you pass this month, which has 11, 12 days left, you have an opportunity to play against some lesser teams. But by that point, it could be over for you. Man. You got to beat Colorado. You got to beat the best team in the league if you want to hang in. Yeah, good luck. That's yeah. a really, really good team. And if they're not playing with a sense of urgency, I, I don't know. Doesn't seem well, doesn't seem great. And I, I've, <laughs> the, the cruncher for me on Saturday... We've got some uh, red hot ripplets. Here's 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 a cruncher. cruncher oh, why for would me. you do that for everyone? This is an unopened bag of red hot ripplets. We've got that tons. Someone of red could hot have ripplets. enjoyed, and Randy just yeah. crunched it. Thanks to our friends at Old Vienna, we've got tons of red hot ripplets. That's true. I forgot we did have the I think sixty bags yeah. <laughs> in the cone of silence. <laughs> Snacks in there for yeah. when you and the fast lane boys go in there for the fight and or gauntlet. Exactly. The the thing is, here's a, a team that's eminently beatable in Arizona, right? Now you have to play a team that, as I mentioned before, even if the Blues play their A game, and we don't know how dramatically Colorado will be affected by the loss of players due to COVID, but if the, the Blues play their best game, and Colorado plays their best game, Blues have no chance against mm-hmm. Colorado. So they put themselves in a position where even if they develop that sense of urgency, are they going to win? It's going to be a tough task. Yeah. And you're asking a lot of your best players on the team who haven't been giving you the production that you need to all of a sudden be able to find that. There's there's a lot of asks that we're needing yeah. out of this team right now for things to go correctly. Coach on Saturday's loss. I think we're prepared for the game. We started the game off really well, I thought, the first period. Um, you know, get the 2 nothing lead. And then it seems like, we, you know, we go out in second periods and we're, we're, we, we, we're not aggressive anymore. We sit back and let teams come at us and get on our heels. And, you know, next thing you know, it's, they, they score right away. And, you know, fragile. We've heard that word before. Not great. That's the last, um, probably the last word you want to hear about your hockey team, mm-hmm. fragile. Yeah. So, Tyler Bozak, <laughs> what happened? Oh, I mean, they're a good team. Um, we had a little bit of a lull there in the second period, I think, just like we did in the previous game, and uh, they took advantage of it. And, um, you know, still tie game going into the third period on the road. It's never a bad spot to be in. Obviously, when you have a two-goal lead, you want to hold it, but uh, things like that happen, and, um, you know, they did a better job than us in the third getting that uh, last goal. Oh, there you go. They're a good team, and things like that happen. There you go. That's the explanation. 
For a team that won a Stanley Cup by playing their game and dictating the tempo and dictating the pace, it is such a head scratch. It, it makes, I think, fans so angry to watch a team sit back and allow the other team to take over the tone of the game when the Blues had found success doing the opposite of that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Michelle, uh, I didn't get a chance to see Friday's or yesterday's Cardinals games. I don't, don't even know what happened, but I'm assuming they had an awesome weekend because Saturday... Yadi and Molina hit a couple of home mm-hmm. runs. They went back to back a couple of times. They win nine to four. So I'm just assuming that they owned the Phillies over the weekend. Oh, is that what you're going to assume? Yeah. Well, don't. You know what they say, Randy, when you assume. Uh-oh. What happened? It makes an ass out what? of you and me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't assume anything. Don't assume anything. But that game on Saturday was fun. Yes. That it was, was great. A, that was a fun game. Did you watch yesterday's game? I did not. It was, but I didn't miss much, apparently. It was fun for Aaron Nola. Yeah. He had a great time. Two-hitter for Aaron Nola yesterday. Complete game, 10 strikeouts in nine innings. Uh, no offensive fireworks. No offensive anything for the Cardinals yesterday. They did score a couple of runs on Friday, and that's a game where one inning determined what the game was. And I don't think Carlos Martinez was horrible. I mean, you had the bad play by Dylan Carlson. You had a bad play by Carpenter. Yes, you did have a couple of hit-by-pitches for Martinez and Things spiraled out of control for him, but he was victimized by his defense on Friday night as the Cardinals lost 9-2 to two in that one. And the, the offense in that game wasn't what you need to have to win. You need to score at least 3-4 to win in baseball these days, unless you're the Dodgers, mm-hmm. and they do anyway. And the Cardinals just aren't capable of doing that on a consistent basis. So they either score 9 or they score 2, 1, or 0. It's very early in the season, so we always have to take a step back and take a deep breath because things are still developing. But the early trends that you're seeing with this team, a feast or famine offense, you need the starters to go deeper into games. And the outfield still not uh, blossoming the way that you would like it to. Let's put it that way. And the more time goes on, the more evaluation you get and the less I see from this group that leads me to believe, granted O'Neal and Bader aren't there, but less I see from the people that are playing that they're going to wind up being great. Now, does Justin Williams have a chance to be a serviceable player at the major league level? Yeah, I think so. Does Dean have a chance to be a serviceable player at the major league level? Yeah, I think so. But people were talking about Tyler O'Neill hitting 30 home runs. Well, who's going to pick up that slack? Who's going to who who's going to provide production for the Cardinals? I was telling you about a stat, Michelle, before mm-hmm. this, we came on the air. The Cardinals have three players on their offense with OPSs, on-base plus slugging percentages, above 811. Yachty at 1.022, Dylan Carlson 868, Nolan Arenado 854. The next one is Edmund at 729. So the Cardinals have three above 811 with their team OPS being 679. The Dodgers' team OPS is 811. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the Cardinals 679, the Dodgers 811. They're, they are ridiculous. As a team. Yeah. And so the Cardinals, if any player, aside from Molina, Carlson, Arenado, from the Cardinals is added to the Dodgers lineup, the Dodgers team OPS goes down. We, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit last week, but another thing that I keep thinking when I watch these games is where would this team be had Yadi or Molina not come back to oh, the Cardinals? And will that be sustainable throughout the season? I, we'll find out. But right now, it looks like bringing him back was one of the best moves that they made. Obviously, yeah. Arenado, bringing Arenado in, huge. But Yadi or Molina has been huge for this team. He's been massive. And a, a fun story over the weekend, the Braves called up 
Sean Kazmar Jr., who last played in the majors in 2008. He got his first big league at bat in more than 12 years on Saturday, grounding into a double play. But Sean Kazmar out of the show for 12 years, and then the, the Braves brought him back. You have to really admire the persistence. I was just going to say, that there's no quit in that guy. Absolutely not. No, so good for him. All right, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals have a new consultant of baseball operations, our friend Xavier Scruggs. Xavier will join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And it's been our pleasure to have Xavier Scruggs, former Cardinal player, on the show in the past. And now Xavier is back with the Cardinals as their DEI consultant, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Xavier Scruggs joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. He's getting right to work. He's he's working with Cardinal minor leaguers this morning. Good morning, Xavier. Thanks for taking some time with us. And congratulations on the new gig. Hey, thank you, first and foremost, and uh, good morning to everybody over there. Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, And, yeah, just getting right to work. I'm here in West Palm Beach right now. Uh, But it's actually been something that's been in process for a while. I've already been working with the major league team, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun getting back in the organization. Xavier, this seems like such a great and valuable position, but for our audience here, can you explain exactly what this will include? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, it was uh, it was kind of about at last year when I saw an opportunity that a lot of athletes don't get educated in a lot of the current events that are going on in, in our communities and our society going on today, especially when it comes to D and uh, D E and I. And for me, it's about helping the Cardinals organization prevent favorable change concerning diversity and inclusion efforts. So if that's putting the right processes in place, putting the right uh, strategic opportunities in place, that's what's important for me and educating and preparing players for cultural differences in their baseball community. So that may be where they're playing, um, you know, in single A, double A, triple A. That could be their communities back home, understanding that, Everybody has different perspectives. Everybody comes from different backgrounds. And then uh, ultimately equipping the players with resources and tools that can best help them understand how their influence can affect people positively and negatively because we we see how – when athletes use their platform, sometimes it can be received as positive and sometimes it can be received as negative. So I want to be able to prepare them to understand those differences and to be able to understand how to respond to those differences, you know? So that stuff is important for both the player, um, the coaching, the staff, and the whole organization as, as a whole. Xavier, as fans, we say, well, players, they care about baseball. They don't really care about their community. That's a perception that's out there. As you worked with the Major League team, what sense did you get about the the appetite of players to learn about their community and about what's going on in the community? No, that's uh, it couldn't be further from the true as, as at least what it comes from the Cardinals organization. A lot of those guys in the major leagues, they want to dive into the community, but it's about figuring out the best way to do so and about equipping the players with those opportunities. Sometimes we can say, hey, use your platform, use your voice, do this, do that. But if we don't show them how to do that exactly and do it in a positive manner, then they don't receive anything from that. So it was important for me to kind of dive in and understand, okay, 
how is somebody like a Paul Goldsmith using their platform and, and how are they getting into the community? Same for a Matt Carpenter, same for Adam Wainwright, uh, uh, Jack Flaherty, and all those guys are already doing that. So it obviously makes my job a lot easier. Now it's about continuing to stay up with, with current events and, and what's going on in our culture around us um, and diving into some communities that we maybe haven't dove into before and, and showing them how great baseball is. So a lot of that comes along with this job title and this role and just being able to provide insight from somebody that's been a part of it, someone that's been in the minor leagues for a long period of time, someone that played in the major leagues, someone that played in Dominican, Colombia, uh, Venezuela, uh, Korea. So to be able to provide my perspective has been huge uh, for me and this organization. I'm just excited to continue to do so. I think this role, Xavier, is so valuable in so many ways. But when I look at the modern athlete now with, as you mentioned, the platform that they have and the access that fans have to them and their point of view 24-7 with around-the-clock news coverage and social media, it almost seems like this is now a requirement of the job, whether these guys realize it or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's the fun thing about the job, too, is it's always going to be evolving, right? You mentioned social media and and how these guys are able to use their platforms and how they have such a bigger voice now. Um, That's a big part of it. And we have to be able to understand that there's going to come positives with that and there's going to negatives are going to come with that. So how do we best be prepared for those situations and understand that now in today's age, you have a voice bigger than ever. So it, you can't tell somebody to just stick to doing what they're doing, whether whatever sport it is, to stay focused on baseball. No, if I have some initiatives or some things that I want to do in my community or do some things outside of baseball, whether it comes with, uh, you know, get diving into another business, whatever it may be to use my platform. I have the best opportunity to do that now. I don't have to be a one-dimensional athlete. I can do so many different things. And I see the impact that athletes are making today amongst our community, amongst our society, our world in general. And those things should be encouragement towards our players today. Xavier Scruggs with us on 101 ESPN. He is the Cardinals Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Consultant. And... I, I, I want to get your take on this because, as you mentioned, play, uh, players have a platform. And Michelle and I have talked about that, how uh, we admire and appreciate players that are educated about their community and use the platform. But literally half the country, as was told to LeBron James, Xavier, uh, they want players to just shut up and dribble. So how do you reconcile this? How, how do you get players to use their platform in a polarized country? Yeah, I mean, that statement is no longer acceptable. Um, We see that athletes are becoming figures much bigger than their own sport, and that is just fine, especially, like you said, when you're educated and you understand certain subjects that go along with outside your sport. Um, And we have too many athletes that now understand so many things besides just playing their sport. So I encourage those athletes to not, not necessarily speak out or have to be an advocate, but be able to explore different things, you know, be a part of your community, be a part of your society in as many ways as possible. Yes. You have to be focused on the field. You have to be focused on your, your main job. But at the same time, if you're able to take on some other things and able to make an impact as an athlete, that should be an ultimate goal. Yes, I can make an impact on the field, but how can I make an impact off the field? You know, and as long as I'm focused on doing that in a positive manner and using my influence in a positive way, those things should never be denied. I feel like those things should make people feel 
extra comfortable doing those things and extra excited because those things are important for our world today and not just so an athlete doesn't have to be so one-dimensional in doing one thing. You're going to be absolutely perfect for this job, Xavier. And I can't wait to see what you implement with this team and watch it grow. But since we have you, we certainly did want to ask you about the baseball side of things. What are some observations that you've had so far for this Cardinals team on the field? Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing is I, I feel like, um, you know, we got to get we got to figure out these outfielders, get them going offensively. Starting pitching has to take some of this pressure off the relievers. I think once we start getting one, two, three good starts in a row, get these guys going, and it all starts with Jack Flaherty, right? He's got to be the ace of this staff um, and, and then let that trickle down. And then obviously, obviously there's injuries right now, so we're not at full strength. So understand that it's going to take some time. It's a long season. Of course, with the shortness of last season, the only 60 games, it's like we're getting off and going and, and excited about the, about the game. And it's like, what man, the Cardinals should be doing better things. But at the same time, we have to remember it's a long process. These guys have to develop. There's, there's new pieces on this team. And sometimes it takes teams uh, time to mold more than others. So I'm excited to see how the, the Cardinals do in this process because they're one of the top teams when it comes down to finishing, you know, in the middle of the season and then finishing strong. So I'm, I'm excited to continue to see what they do. And, and uh, man, they're going to they're gonna really step up in this division. It's a tough division. So uh, a lot of people counted this division out, but it's been tough. And Xavier, we are obviously reactionary here in talk radio, but you know Schilte. <laughs> Schilte, is, he's a global thinker and he's all about the process, right? Absolutely. And I think that's one thing with being with Schilt for a long period of time is understanding that this guy has one of the coolest heads out there, right? He respects the game. He understands that it is a process. He's going to be the guy that does not panic. He's going to figure out solutions. Um, he's going to call up some of those guys that, that are available at the alternate site that they, they know can make an immediate impact. So all those things, he's such a great evaluator of talent, skill, and ability that all those things will take care of themselves. And just look at the rest of this coaching staff, man. They've all proven themselves. They've all done a great job. It's just now about continuing to find ways to be consistent. And that's what we want to see with this team on the field. We want to see them be consistent. We don't want to see one day the pitching good and then the hitting no good and then vice versa. We want to see it all come together. And I think that's what we'll start to see moving down the rest of this season. Xavier, thanks for taking the time. Congratulations on the new position. We're excited about you being a part of the Cardinal organization again, and we know that this will be great for our community here in St. Louis and for the Cardinal players that are involved with you. Oh, man, I appreciate you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Love being on the show, and go Cardinals. Go Cards, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Thanks. Bye -bye. Thanks, Xavier. Xavier Scruggs with us on 101 ESPN. He's going to be talking to Cardinal minor leaguers in about 35 minutes down in Florida. And I love that he's already getting to work because after that conversation with him, I am so convinced that he's the perfect person for this job. I thought that anyway, but just listening to him speak with such passion about this and outlining his thoughts and how he can implement things within the organization, I think he's going to make a big impact. And credit to the Cardinals for trying to tackle a very tough task, trying to bring people together now is a really tough task and bringing in a guy like Xavier Scruggs and trying to uh, build bridges among people is a really positive move, I think, on the part of the ball club. It absolutely is. And like I mentioned, whether the modern athlete wants to accept it or not, that's part of the job now. 
I, I don't know if it's LeBron and the way that he's been so vocal about things that it's put pressure on other athletes to speak out about certain things in their community or in the communities in which they play. But with with politics coming into sports so much, whether we like it or not, it is there. It exists. And if you are the Cardinals, you can't just ignore that. You're going to need to educate your players on this just the same way that you need to make sure they're prepped from a PR standpoint or from a health standpoint. It's part of what is going to be in their orbit as a baseball player. And it's important to put them in the best position to succeed. Yeah, he's a coach, essentially. Xavier Scruggs is is a, a coach. And if players want to to speak and use that platform, they'll be educated about it. That's the most important thing about this. Well, and they're inevitably at some point in their career likely going to be asked a a question that has to do with something that's going on in our our world. And it's important that they're informed and that they feel comfortable expressing their viewpoint. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got a fun game here on Carriker and Smallman. Start one, bench one, cut one. We're going to give each other three players. You need to give us three players. One to start, one to bench, one to cut. We'll play it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Start one, bench one, cut one. Doesn't have to be sports necessarily. I'm going to do a sports one, but doesn't have to be. Uh, Emily is here. Michelle is here. Uh, Michelle, start one, bench one, cut one from among Justin Falk, Tori Krug, and Colton Pareko. Okay, let me write this down. Falk, Krug, Pareko. Yep, somebody's getting cut or selected by Seattle. Okay, well, I'm starting Pareko. Even okay. even a reduced Pareko, I'm starting Pareko. Falken Krug is where it gets tricky because both not really playing up to expectations nope. so far this season. Um, I think, oh, that's, I think I will bench Krug, and I'm sorry, but I think I have to cut Falk. Yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think it's a coin flip for Krug and Falk. I, I really agree. Do. I agree. I could, you can make an argument either way. Yep. But you're starting Pareko too, yeah. right? Yeah. Who figured that Tory Krug would have one goal? Definitely not me. Remember when we were heading into the season, we're talking about how much production we expected out of him and how this power play was going to be so lethal, and we were just so excited. Gosh, what, yeah. a, what a great time at the beginning of the season oh, we or so heading excited. into the season when you can just hope and ride that wave. Yeah. And now one goal. Here we are in <laughs> mid-April, one not, goal later. Not great. All right, Randy, let's look at the NFL draft. Start one, bench one, cut one. Okay. Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Okay. Uh, I am definitely starting Justin Fields. Wow. Okay. Did not expect that. I am benching Wilson and I am cutting Lance. Interesting. So I was thinking that I would start Zach Wilson. Mm -hmm. The more I read about him, the more excited I am to see him at the next level and I think that he has the ability to be very special. Now his circumstances, by which team he might get drafted by, could, <laughs> could potentially stunt his growth. We'll see. Uh, I don't understand the uh, down mentality on Justin Fields. I don't get I don't that either. at all. So I would bench him. And only because of the sample size in which we saw him, I'm cutting Trey Lance. Hasn't played much at the college level. Mm-hmm. And the comp 
and it might turn out to be great, but the comp is uh, the quarterback that Philadelphia just traded to Carson Wentz. Car- yeah, that's that, that's the comp. Not the best comp to have if no, you were him coming I don't into think the so. draft. No, I guess you could also say on a different level, maybe Ben Roethlisberger. But I would, I would, if I was his people, his PR people, yeah, be encouraging that narrative so hard. Yeah. I would do anything I could to make sure I shook the he's going to be like Carson once narrative from me. As much as you can. All right, Emily's got some. What do you have, Emily? From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto. Ooh. Ooh. Can I start them all? <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, I'm going to do this, and I hate to do it. I'm going to start Mookie. Me too. Be- because he is so dynamic. That catch he made this weekend, I watched it like six times in a row. It was unbelievable. I'm going to bench Mike Trout because you still want to have him in the mix, obviously. And even though I love him, I'm going to cut Soto. I am going to... I'm going to start bets also. I am going to bench Soto and cut Trout. You're going to cut Trout. Yep. But, Randy, didn't you know he's the best person to ever play the game of baseball? He's the best player that has ever existed. He's really good at walking. (laughs) I like guys that swing the bat. And Soto doesn't walk as much as Trout, but he swings the bat more, and he doesn't strike out. So I'm going to go with Soto. And, by the way, he's only 22. He's ridiculous at such a young age. And with Mookie, too, you've seen him do it at the highest level. Yeah, and he's still young, and he does more. He He's a more aggressive player than Mike Trout is. I should have said on the biggest stage, yeah. not the highest level, because they're all at the highest level. Right. But until I see Mike yeah. Trout in a World Series game and win a World Series, I'm going with Mookie Betts. And somebody's going to be exceptionally happy when I cut Mike Trout and they're able to pick him up. I'm going to make somebody happy. Do you think the other teams would question why you've cut him? Or would they no, just, they snap, just say snatch you're an idiot, up? Randy? Yeah. Boy, <laughs> like we are right now when we see Mookie Betts and we're looking at Boston being like, why did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, he's expensive, but you let this guy go? Yeah. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Financial limitations. Jeez. Another one from the 636. Start one, bench one, cut one. Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. Ooh. Okay. The, the only problem with this game is that you want to write them down. Yeah. So that you. I'm doing it. So it's Bauer, Kershaw, Bueller. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I think I'm going to start Bauer, bench Bueller, and cut Kershaw. I'm exactly the same. Okay. Sorry, Kershaw. And it's because of his recent injury mm-hmm. issues that he's had. Bauer is at the top of his game right now, and Bueller is an absolute stud. From the three one four, start one, bench one, cut one. Andy Dalton. Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles. Oh, man. Okay, Bears fans. <laughs> that is such a, a tough collection. Okay, so Dalton, Mitch, and Foles. I'm going to do exactly what they did. I'm going to start Dalton, I'm going to bench Foles, and I'm going to cut Mitch. I'm with you. I'm starting Dalton, I'm benching Foles, and I'm cutting Mitch. The Bears did the right thing. They did. Except I don't really have a lot of confidence in the people that I'm starting and benching. Oh, no. You are 
to mediocrity when you yeah. have those guys. Andy Dalton, he was, he was a Bengals quarterback. I mean, he fits right in with what they're doing there. Nick Foles is fine as a backup as long as you don't have to start him. And then Mitch Trubisky, well, he tried it. If you have a great running game, Mitch Trubisky would have been a good quarterback for the Steelers in the 70s with the Steel Curtain defense and Franco Harris and just drop back and let it fly to Swan and Stallworth. But unfortunately, they didn't exactly have the Steel Curtain in Chicago and they certainly didn't have Franco Harris and Stallworth and Swan. Nick Foles has had one of the most bizarre careers Mm -hmm. in recent memory. He was, remember when he was in St. Louis? I do. Terrible. And then he goes on to Philly. He cannot be stopped in the postseason. He wins a Super Bowl. And then he, the carriage turns into a pumpkin again. And he was talking about retiring. After the St. Louis experience, he was going to retire. And then he winds up winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that something happened there. Some sort of a deal was made to get him to win the Super Bowl. And then, uh, like you said, the deal kind of ended. And he turned into a pumpkin. Mm Mm-hmm. A well, rich one, rich well, pumpkin. Rich pumpkin, but what a ride! Yeah, while he was while he was the carriage. From the three one four, start one, bench one, cut one. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July. Oh, this is so easy. Go ahead. Start Halloween, bench Fourth of July, cut Thanksgiving. Most overrated holiday out there. Wow. Yeah, no, it's not even close. The, I would sometimes lean Fourth of July to start because it's a great holiday, summertime. Mm-hmm barbecues, tunes, maybe a boat involved with fireworks. But Halloween is more of an experience and it's more than just a day or just a weekend. There's a lot leading up to Halloween. I am going to start 4th of July. I am going to bench Thanksgiving and I'm going to cut Halloween, which means nothing to me. Wow. I mean... No imagination, Randy. No, I'm all about the food. So you don't love candy and treats? Not as much as I love Fourth uh, of July ribs or Thanksgiving feasts. Oh, so you like turkey and gravy and an otherwise potatoes, bland yams. palate? Yeah. Mm. So, chocolate pie. Yeah. Think about when you. And by the way, the weather on Fourth of July is way better than it is on those other holidays. I don't know. A crisp fall evening on Halloween. It's never good. Sometimes it is good. Sometimes it is. But think about Halloween when you get the candy and you dump out the the bucket and then it's ranking into tiers the order in which you want to eat the candy, potentially bartering with your friends on I'll give you a Kit Kat if you kick me back your Starburst. That's the whole fun Michelle, of it. Michelle, I haven't had the opportunity to do this for 10 years since my kids were kids. Okay, but you still have trick-or-treaters that come to your house, which means there is a bowl of candy at the ready. And you know what happens on November 1st? There's a bowl of candy sitting on the table in the <laughs> in the kitchen area here at uh, Hubbard Radio. That's true, and that's a dangerous spot to walk by. <laughs> From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. Filet mignon, ribeye, strip steak. Okay, the ribeye gets to start. The filet is benched, and the strip, uh, unfortunately for the strip, gets cut. I think I'm starting filet just because I like a smaller portion. Mm-hmm. I like a little petite filet action. And then what were the other two? <laughs> a strip and uh, what was the other one? Ribeye. Ribeye. I'm going ribeye bench cutting the strip. Mm. Mm. If you put a steak in front of me and it was cut up, I could not discern what type of steak it was. Yeah, I can only tell by the shape of it yeah. when I when I yeah. order it. Yeah. But if it's cut up, I would just be like, yep, it's steak. That's one of the great things about the butchers at Schnucks 
who are the best butchers, by the way, in the world, not just the area in the world, but the butchers at Schnooks can actually tell you what a cut of steak is and, and how you can tell what it is. They're I need, great. I need to go there and yeah. get some education. Because as someone who doesn't yeah. grill, I've never had to worry about it That's before. That's true. I only have Good to worry point. about telling the griller how I prefer my steak and then eating it. And how do you prefer it? Medium. Okay. Straight medium. Yep. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And we're going to come back to those because we've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Tioli. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Michelle, Emily, Randy, great to have you with us. Michelle, did you see over the weekend that Joe Buck is going to audition for Jeopardy? I did see that. Take it or leave it. Jeopardy should have a host that doesn't know as much about geography as any of his contestants, including unless Randy is there. Okay, say that again. I think Joe is going to be limited on the geography. Like if we're asking about South America geography or European geography, he might not know as much as a lot of his uh, contestants. So take it or leave it. Uh, you should have, uh, it's, it's, it should be allowed to have a host that doesn't know as much about geography as his contestants. I'll take that. I would take it. He too. doesn't need the knowledge. He just he's need, got the answers. He's got the answers. He just needs to be technically sound, which Joe is. He would be great at that. He'd be so much fun. He's going to be awesome at it. Yeah. He knows how to dictate the flow of a broadcast. He is very funny, kind of in a Trebek way, and like a mm-hmm. in a low key, dry sort of way, right. which Trebek also had. I think he's going to be awesome now. The problem with Joe is that he's already going to be compared to Aaron Rodgers. Yes. And Aaron Rodgers, I think the bar was lower for Aaron Rodgers than it will be for someone who's a professional broadcaster like Joe Buck. Aaron Rodgers is a football player who just happens to love Jeopardy and be good at Jeopardy. And the fact that he went in and slayed his audition or whatever you want to call his stint as the guest celebrity host... I think surprised a lot of people. People thought he might be good, but he was really good. Mm -hmm. So I think because of the surprise factor of Aaron Rodgers that people are going to want to compare Joe to him. And that's not fair. They should just compare Joe to Joe. So when I watch Jeopardy, I can answer questions. I can, like, deduce things. But I never get a geography question right, ever. Never. Not once. Really? I don't know anything about geography. If the fight was about geography, I'd be dead in the water. It'd be terrible. Why is that? That'd be Whitney Houston. Randy! What? Do not say that about Whitney. <laughs> I'm just pointing out news facts that I've heard. Jeez. <laughs> if you were the guest host of Jeopardy, you would be getting jokes like that in all the time. I don't know if you'd last. You, you'd yeah, have I, I one would, show. The second show, I wouldn't be there one for. One show, but it would be very funny. <laughs> But that surprises me that you retain all of this information and that you wouldn't retain geography. Yeah, I don't know why I can't. I just art either. I'm, I'm bad with art. Yeah. I took an art history class one time and got an F. You got an F? F. I failed it completely, miserably. Was it because you just didn't care about it? Yep. Didn't put in the effort? Yep. So it's not that you couldn't retain the information. You just didn't want Had to. no interest whatsoever. Still don't. I took art history and loved it. Did you? Oh, yeah. You? If I didn't have this job, I would love to curate an art gallery. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Maybe so when what, I retire. What's your favorite period from the uh, art? History. I like modern art. I like okay, contemporary good. art. Yeah. 
Impressionist. Okay, impressionistic. I remember that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, Randy, did you watch any of the Cubs game last night? I did. The, I say the Cubs game. The Braves. Braves game. Braves Cubs game. It should be called the Braves game because they won the game. Interesting first inning. Not great for Kyle Hendricks. He was the first pitcher in Cubs history to allow four home runs in the first inning. It was bombs away for Atlanta. Take it or leave it. That's a surprising stat for you. Take it. Yes, because I see him against the Cardinals where he's Cy Young. And he, he never has a bad inning, let alone allowing four home runs in an inning against the Cardinals. Also, think about how many bad Cubs teams that there have been throughout history yep. that you would think some pitcher would have allowed a lot of home runs in off that the ballpark? bat in yeah. that ballpark. When I saw that, I thought, really? In their history, there hasn't been a Cubs pitcher that got lit up to start? That's, that was very surprising to me for several reasons. Yeah. Emily, what do we have? From the 636, take it or leave it. David Braun is exposed and selected in the expansion draft. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that, too. That that would be a short-sighted move. Now, tell me this. Would you be surprised if 91 found himself exposed? Yes. Are you, Would you not? I think it's a lot of it's going to depend upon what happens with Jaden Schwartz. If Schwartz is signed, obviously you're protecting he, Shen, Kairu, Peron, Sunquist. You get to protect seven. So I, I get two more. Uh, I guess 91's on the list. I guess Barbashev is the guy that would be most likely. I think they'll lose a defenseman. I do, I do too. When I And I think they would be more comfortable losing a defenseman right now, yeah. depending on who it is. But when I think about 91... Yes, the production is not there, but this is still someone that is coming back from an injury. And I know that there are questions about the type of player that he will be moving forward because of the surgeries and because of the injuries. But the ceiling is still higher for him from my perspective than a lot of players on this team. Yeah, I I agree with that. So you're talking Schwartz, Shen, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Perron, Thomas. But you, you got Cairo too. Yeah, Cairo. It'll be interesting. And Sunquist, by the way. So they'll have t- tough choices to make. Big time. From the 615, take it or leave it, the Jags move to St. Louis. Leave it. <laughs> leave it. St. Louis will not have another NFL team. Ever, are, ever, ever, we, ever. We, we are done. And by the way, Shad Khan, the owner, on the night of the move of the Rams, the vote of the move, uh, said to Jim Thomas that St. Louis is not a viable NFL market anymore. And uh, if he's not in Jacksonville, he's probably going to be in London. Mm-hmm. That that franchise is not moving to St. Louis. And with MLS, the big money in St. Louis, the corporate sponsors that you would need to support an NFL franchise in St. Louis, those corporate sponsors are in the ownership groups of the Blues and the MLS franchise. And also really support Cardinal baseball. I don't think either party is interested in the other. I don't think St. Louis is interested in the NFL, and the NFL is certainly not interested in St. Louis. Certainly not. If they were going to come up with a list of 10 cities to put an NFL franchise in, I don't even think St. Louis is on the list. No, It should be, but I don't think it is. Even top five, you'd say... London. I bet they'd throw Mexico City or somewhere in Mexico before they throw St. Louis. Oakland and San Diego. Oakland, San Diego. I could see. I mean, there's tons of options. I just don't. Portland. I was going to say Portland is in the mix. Oregon. Great football in Oregon. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think St. Louis is even on their radar. Nope. From the 502, take it or leave it, the Cardinals will be in first after this week. I'm going to leave that, but give me, uh, let's see, after this week, give me May 1st. I'll say that by May 1st, they're in first place. May 1st, I'll take that. From the 636, take it or leave it, the most missed Blues player on today's team is Jay Bomeister. Oh, take it. Yeah, I'll take that. No doubt. I've been saying yeah. that all season. Yep, and they, they miss a lot of guys, but I, I would take that that he's the one. They miss Petro, too, definitely. Big time. Great job, Emily. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Emily, and that is Teoli on 101 ESPN. Coming up with the Cardinals taking on Washington, we're going to talk to our old friend, native St. Louis and Bob Carpenter, the longtime TV voice of the Nats. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> After dropping two of three to the Washington Nationals last week, the Cardinals are in Washington tonight to take on the Nets in the opener of a series at uh, D.C.'s Nationals ballpark. The longtime voice of the Nationals is St. Louis and Bob Carpenter. He does their TV on Masson, and he's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker. Bob, it's always great to talk to you. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing great, and it's great to hear your voice. Why, thank you very much. A split for the Nationals over the weekend against Arizona. And it seems like the Nationals have a lot of elements. Are are they going to put things together? How good do you think they can be? Well, you know, first order of business is our starting pitching, which is supposed to be the strength of the ball club. You know, uh, we're looking at Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, uh, John Lester, who hasn't thrown a pitch yet, and then Joe Ross as our five starters. And, you know, interestingly enough, Max and Joe have been the two best in that group. Max had a rough outing opening day when he gave up four solo homers to the Braves, but he's been pitched really well since then. Got a no decision against uh, Clayton Kershaw in L.A. and uh, actually got a loss when a fly ball was lost in the sun in, in a low-scoring game. And then he uh, he was uh, tremendous against the Diamondbacks on uh, Friday night, I think the Cardinals will probably see him Wednesday afternoon. But, uh, you know, Steven Strasburg went on the DL yesterday, Randy, 13th time in his career. And John Lester, we're still uh, waiting for him to come back from uh, COVID protocols. You know, and and you guys saw him with the Cubs and his days with the Red Sox and other ball clubs. You know, he's a a big game pitcher. He's a postseason guy you want to give the ball to. So, of all things, the one thing we thought would be our primary strength – is now something the Nats are battling through with, uh, you know, with injuries and all that. Uh, the second thing I think, that, you know, to get back to your question, Randy, is uh, Josh Bell has to start hitting. I mean, he was signed to play first base and uh, hit for power, produce some runs, and bat cleanup for the most part. And so far, uh, he's got two RBIs. Josh just isn't hitting at all. He's jumping at everything and, and just not looking that good. So, uh, you know, the other new Nets, Kyle Schwarber's looked pretty good. He won a ball game for us, a one nothing game with a long home run on Friday night. And uh, Josh Harrison returned after playing for us uh, last year and has been fantastic. And we have two young budding superstars, of course, in our shortstop, Trey Turner, and our right fielder, Juan Soto. So the Nets have the, all the elements of a good team. The bullpen has been very strong so far. I think uh, from the numbers, they've been in the top three or four in the league so far. But you know this. You've watched baseball as long as I have. 
when your bullpen's working a lot in April and May, that can hurt you in August and September. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. So I think the Nats have the potential to be as good as the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves in the loaded National League East. But so far, some things have really gotten in the way of that. One of those things, Bob, being the coronavirus test, the positive tests and the protocols that the team dealt with around opening day. How hard has it been to determine what this team is and what they could be after you had so many players missing time to start the season? Yeah, Michelle, it's a good question. And it's a mini version of what the Cardinals went through last year. Because we only had three games canceled, the opening series at home against the Mets. You know, that, that's a whole lot better than having a week's worth or, you know, a week and a half worth of games get canceled. So, yeah, it, it's been kind of strange because we were playing with a rather strange lineup for the first three games of the season when we finally got to, to play against the Braves. I mean, we had Victor Robles, our center fielder. We had Turner. We had Soto. Ryan Zimmerman is off to a great start and Starlin Castro. But beyond that, you know, we were playing some guys who were supposed to be bench guys or in, in some cases, you know, triple uh, A guys. And, uh, you know, we, we signed catcher Jonathan Lucroy for the first week or so. And he, he did really well, uh, had, you know, some RBIs and, um, you know, did some clutch things, handled our pitching staff really well. But, uh, you know, we were playing with about three or four men short in our starting lineup. And we were without Patrick Corbin and, of course, Lester back at that time. So, yeah, the Nats were were dealt a strange hand. And then some of the position players finally started coming back about a week after the season started. So that helped. Schwarber and uh, a couple of other guys came back when we were playing the Dodgers in L.A. And then, of course, when we we came home. So uh, I, I think the Nats dealt with that as well as you possibly could. To have it happen right out of the gate was a bit strange. But I'd rather have it happen early. And, uh, you know, we managed to beat the Braves one out of three and then got swept by the Dodgers in L.A., which is going to happen to a lot of teams, (laughs) you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, they look incomparable right now. So, you know, it didn't slap us as hard as the Cardinals or the Marlins or some of the teams last year. But it's definitely something to deal with. And hopefully now it's behind us. Once John Lester gets back, And he did throw a simulated game the other day. We'll be at full strength. Bob, I wish we got a chance to see more of the Nationals because I love watching Juan Soto hit. You saw Albert Pujols' career. Is it unreasonable to say that Juan Soto is a young left-handed Albert Pujols? (laughs) That's a great question, Randy. You know, Albert was so polished as a young hitter. uh, And Juan, uh, Juan Soto, from the day he came up in, I think it was May of eighteen. This kid amazed us. And it's really funny because that spring training, he wasn't even on our radar. Uh, Victor Robles was the young player everybody was talking about, who's still our center fielder, uh, but struggling, uh, having said that. Uh, Juan Soto came to the big leagues, and after a month in the major leagues, he looked like he'd been here for five years. He hits with two strikes. He spreads his feet way out. He drives the ball the other way. He... He's like Albert and guys like Ted Williams, and I'm not saying he's Ted Williams, but I'm talking about players who walk more than they strike out. You know, Albert did that. Juan does that. Some of the great hitters of all time did that. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's just an outstanding player. He had 351 last year. He won the batting championship. Now, over the weekend, he didn't have a very good series. 
Uh, he went 0 for 2 with a pair of walks yesterday. So he went 2 for 14 with three walks and an RBI because the Diamondbacks refused to pitch to him the entire four-game series. He got a sack fly for that RBI. So challenge him if you dare. Uh, but now, you know, if, if you don't challenge him, Ryan Zimmerman, who's off to a great start, as I mentioned, our 36-year-old veteran, uh, who may be a DH next year if the universal DH comes in, you know, he's hitting well. Starlin Castro just had uh, a six-hit series over the weekend. You guys remember him from the Cubs. He looks like he has no plan at the plate whatsoever. He's not scientific. He's not into analytics. He just goes up there, baby, and hacks and gets base hits. So, you know, and, and, and like I said, if Josh Bell starts hitting, then Juan Soto will start putting up bigger numbers because guys have to protect him in this lineup. Because as I said, I don't know what the Cardinals' approach is going to be, but uh, you know the Diamondbacks just didn't pitch to him. And going back to the series last week, uh, Juan Soto went six for twelve against the Cardinals. Didn't hit any homers, but he had three RBIs and a walk. So the Cardinals chose to pitch to him and and paid a bit of a price. So we'll see how teams approach uh, Juan. But I, I think that the only difference, uh, Randy, I think between Soto and Pujols early in their career, Albert had and still does such a flat swing. His bat is in the hitting zone forever. Juan has more of an uppercut like a lot of young hitters do than Albert did. That's the only difference I can really uh, see. And here's the other thing. Albert was a leader on the Cardinals from the time he was a young player. You know, we still had Mike Matheny and some of the other veterans on that team at that time. You know, the Mark McGuire era had just come to an end, and Albert came in. He's, he was a leader. He was a vocal guy. Juan Soto was like that, although he's more of a cheerleader uh, in the dugout. He just really rallies the guys and all that. Their personalities are a lot alike because they're both extremely outgoing. It's extremely friendly, and I love that as a broadcaster, watching guys like that day after day. He's so fun to watch, Bob, and I'm sure Nationals fans are wondering when they're going to see the team and come to a long-term deal. As soon as the Tatis deal came down, I thought, well, what is Juan Soto going to command? So Tatis got yeah. 14 years, $340 million. Do you think Soto gets more than that? Well, it's always possible, Michelle, and you know, it, it, sometimes it depends on uh, what the payroll situation is with your team as well. And, and, and by the way, regarding the whole Soto shuffle and stuff that he does in between pitches, a couple of years ago, Miles Michaelis didn't like that at all. He, he thought he thought Juan was showing him up, and I don't think Miles knew that, that that's just part of Juan's thing. And I think Adam Wainwright was a little vocal from the first base dugout that day because there were some interesting moments on the field. Now, this past week when we faced the Cardinals, none of that happened. I think the Cardinals now, you know, now that uh, – uh, now that Soto's won a batting championship, you know I, th- I think everybody around the league kind of knows what he's all about. He's not a hot dog. He's just he's just a guy who has a ton of fun out there, and uh, you know that's what we love about him. But as far as this contract thing, it was interesting in Washington. Trey Turner's name actually came up when first when Tatis signed the deal, simply because they're both shortstops. Uh, but to your point. Then the conversation turned to Soto because there's no doubt about the fact that Trey Turner, who hit two homers yesterday and is a leadoff guy with power, he's, I'm not saying, uh, well, I will say he's kind of a young right-handed Lou Brock because Lou had power, of course, was an incomparable base dealer. And Trey Turner, 
from the right side of the batter's box, might be the fastest guy to first base in baseball. He can absolutely fly. And uh, he's a multi-talented player, plus he plays shortstop. So you look at the payroll situation. The Nats are paying Steven Strasburg, who's injured $25 million a year for the next five years after this year. But Max Scherzer, depending on what happens, comes off the books this year at about 25 or $30 million per year. And so there will be some payroll available if it, I tell you, we're going to have a revolution up here. Uh, you thought storming the Capitol was bad? If we don't sign Juan Soto and Trey Turner, Nationals fans might be storming the ballpark. Uh, you know, probably a lame comparison on my part because that was a much more serious situation. But our fans want Trey Turner and Juan Soto to spend their entire careers in Washington, D.C. And uh, that's going to be something Mike Rizzo uh, you know, with the ownership of the Lerner family, uh, needs need to get done. That that is that is priority number one for the future of this team. Hey Bob, one other thing, and you brought it up, but I want to find out what Nationals fans and what you think about Max Scherzer because Cardinal fans dream about him coming back to finish his career in his hometown. Can I you... know Cardinal fans are dreaming of us falling out of the race. <laughs> So that we trade Max Scherzer to them this summer. I I tell you, Randy, the way he pitched on Friday, our fans don't want to see him go. They want it. They want him back next year. But I I know where you're going with that because we've, you know, I've heard some of that chatter when we were in St. Louis. So I know Mark Lerner though, has said that he wants Scherzer to be the first nationals hall of famer. Can it, it sounds to me like there's a chance that he could be gone to open up the payroll space for the young guys. It might depend on what our team does between now and July 31st. And I, and I will tell you that if, if some team wants to trade for Max Scherzer at the trading deadline, the asking price for players in return is going to be very high. So if that ever happens, any GM is going to have to make a decision. Now I'd say, you know, if, if it, you know, if it, if it does end up that that happens, the Cardinals are more likely to sign Max Scherzer you know, 22 and beyond than other ball clubs because Max, you know, he grew up in Chesterfield, went to Parkway and, you know, pitched at Mizzou and and all that local stuff that comes with it. Plus Max Scherzer and the Cardinals still have some pretty young pitchers. Max Scherzer is a guy who can really teach a lot to young pitchers. Uh, Heaven forbid from the national standpoint that he ever wears another uniform, Randy, but you know what? Albert Pujols departure taught me, that anything in baseball can happen. I never thought Albert would play anywhere but St. Louis. And, uh, you know, he got the bigger offer to go to, uh, to Anaheim. So anything's possible in baseball. But if, if you went down the street, ask 10 Nationals fans, if they want to see Max Scherzer, no matter what he's capable of, uh, finishing his career in a Washington uniform, all 10 of them would say, no way we want him to leave. Bob, it is great to hear your voice. Uh, you guys were on MLB Network the other night, so it was great to hear your broadcast, and uh, we really do appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Hey, Randy, always great to talk to you, my longtime friend, and Michelle, nice to meet you on the air, and hopefully sometime in the near future, broadcasters will be traveling and we can all shake hands and say hi in person. Definitely. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks, Bob. That is Bob Carpenter, voice of the Nationals on Masson on 101 ESPN. Next up, the Blues held a great service for Bobby Plager yesterday at Enterprise Center. And we're going to talk to our friend Chris Kerber, who was one of the MCs of the event, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
We head back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Michelle and Randy with you. And uh, Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joins us every Monday here on 101 ESPN. And yesterday was an unusual day. And it's a day that you don't like to have because we were... uh, remembering somebody who had passed away uh, and curbs first of all good morning second of all great job as you and jk were the mcs for the bob plager service and it, when we talk about we hope that somebody's life is celebrated i don't think that we could have celebrated bob's life any more than you and jk and the six speakers did yesterday Randy, you faded out uh, towards the end of that. Can you? I, I apologize. No uh, when they when, uh, when they click it on, you guys fade out. It's a re- it's a weird yeah, thing we, on the system. It, it is. I, I was saying that I, I thought yesterday was a perfect illustration when we talk about celebrating the life of somebody. I don't think that we could have celebrated Bob Plager's life any more, any better than we did yesterday. Yeah, you know that that's a great point, and, and thanks for that. They. they it really was nice. Uh, it, it, it took a few weeks to put together. Obviously, you had people coming in from out of town. It was pretty special to see Gary Younger and Red Barrons and uh, Garth Butcher and all the others. Uh, you know, Brett Hall, who lives out of town right now, and and, and everybody that got in. Uh, you know, from an alumni standpoint, to be there and uh, the work behind the scenes that uh, that Trevor Nickerson, that Mike Caruso, Ashley Vice, Eric Siders did on the production side to make sure that we were able to share that with the fans and, and plan it. It was, it was a, it, it was a great, uh, from, from the time it started uh, until uh, the burial at, at Bell Reef cemetery, it was, it was really a special three hours. And, and it felt as, as it, at times, as sad as you felt, uh, it, it was amazing to be around that many people that were there for Bobby and to see the fans line market street, uh, the funeral procession uh, all down Highway 40 and, and cars on the outside being respectful to let it go through. It was really, really a, a great special tribute to Bobby and uh, and a fantastic farewell. And when you recognize the effect that he has on people, and we talked to Twister the morning after Bob passed away, and uh, here's as big and tough a guy as you'll ever run across, and he was in tears, and Chaser choking up yesterday like he did. That's the effect that Bob Plager had on people, that his loss is so heartfelt by everybody that was in contact with him. I, I said this yesterday at the end of the, uh, you know, right before introducing Chaser, and that's that uh, if you ask my 10-year-old daughter, Ava, who her favorite St. Louis Blues player is, she says Bobby Plager. <laughs> I, can't ex- I can't explain it. And I said that yesterday. Uh, we haven't sat down and watched highlight after highlight. It's just after meeting Bobby several times, he'd see her in the booth when she was up, and something clicked. And uh, and she's got a poster of him up up in his room. Great. You know, it's up in her room, rather. It's it's really something. And, and what, when you think about that, I think about being in Mount Vernon, Illinois, one of my first couple of years with the team. And I was there at a, at a County fair with Bobby and uh, the, the note by notebook that Jim Woodcock uh, had, had worked so hard on and Jeff Trammell to put out for the St. Louis blues and the line at a, at a County fair in Mount Vernon, Illinois grew to the point that it was about a three hour wait for people to get Bobby's autograph. And so much to the point that every single person that was coming up, it wasn't like they just put the book in front of them or put a piece of paper in front of them. said, will you sign this please? They all seemed to have a story. They eventually had to put security at the back of the line 
and stopped the line because the fair was closing before the end of the line was going to be done. It w- so whether somebody met Bobby when he first came here 54 years ago or, you know, a, a, a young kid that, that has never seen him play, doesn't even, you know, really know what he was like as a player or anything like that. Uh, he connected with everybody, such, such a special human being. And, and really, uh, you know, w- when we say he became the soul of a franchise, uh, it, it, it's, it's as true as, as it could be. You're so right, Curbs. And when I think of Bob Plager, a couple things come to mind. One, he was such an accessible star, which is rare. As you mentioned, everyone has a story and everyone would run into him. And he was so warm and friendly that it's almost disarming because you don't expect someone who played or someone who holds a position like that in the organization to be like he was. But then one thing that I'll always think of, and I loved that he got the procession yesterday to honor and celebrate his life on the parade route, was I think so many people identified with him because as Blues fans, you you wanted more than anything to win the cup and no one wanted that more or felt the same way you did than Bobby Plager. And I think most people, when the blues finally hoisted the cup, they thought about their families and their experience going to blues game. And then most people in St. Louis, the second thought they had was I'm so happy for Bobby Plager, which is so rare. Well, it is. And, and there, there's a couple things that come to mind as you say that Michelle. And I think one is, if you take that a moment and you look back at what he did, he started as a player. That then he became a coach. I mean, he he coached the the Blues minor league affiliates in a couple of different cities. He won the Turner Cup, and Jacob yesterday, his grandson was wearing uh, Bobby's Turner Cup ring when he gave his speech mm. yesterday. Uh, he won the Turner Cup with the Peoria Rivermen at one point in time, and for a long time, the hockey department for the St. Louis Blues consisted of Ron Caron and Bobby Plager. So when the Blues are making trades to pick up Pavel Dimitra, it, it was Bobby Plager that was doing the scouting and convincing Ron, this is the guy we need to get. And uh, so you have that. Then he transitioned from the, the hockey ops side to the marketing side. And, and when the organization wasn't sure wh- where exactly to, to fit him in, Jim Woodcock stepped up and said, I'll take him, just like that. And he met with Bobby, and they figured, okay, Bobby would come in and you know, and, and he maybe sent him on a golf tournament here or there. You know, the very next day, Bobby was in Woody's office saying, what do you got for me today? And he did that every day. I mean, you would see him in the office right up to the very end almost every single day. And uh, so you look at that. He played that role of, of so many different aspects of, of, of things for the St. Louis Blues. But for a franchise that struggled to win that first championship, to have somebody – that was there from the very beginning. And then it wound up being somebody of Bobby's personality, not somebody else's. And he, his, his passion, despite the, the playoff failures and not winning his passion for the organization kept everybody up. And, and I think that's why in the end, when you really look back over the, the, the 50 plus years before the blues won the Stanley cup, that's why it became every bit as much Bobby's parade as it was a parade for the Stanley cup champions. And, and it was awesome that fans saw it that way. It was awesome that players saw it that way. And when the players jump off their cars and jump off the, uh, the Clydesdale's wagon, like Petro did, and they start sharing that cup with the fans. That is because of the type of connection that Bobby, the other blues alumni have with, with this fan base and this organization. And it's just, a, it, it was, it was uniquely special because Bobby was unique and people keep asking the question, well, who takes over for Bobby? Nobody. It, nobody. It happens organically, and a role is filled with somebody's personality. And, man, for 54 years, we had a hell of an ambassador in Bobby Plager. 
And for those that didn't get an opportunity to see or hear the event yesterday celebrating Bobby Plager's life, you can go to stlblues.com. They have a great uh, photo section. They have uh, all the videos, so you, you can check that out. Curbs, let's talk about the team. And in our first segment today, I used the word a lack of urgency with Michelle. I, I really was disappointed with what I thought was a lack of urgency in Again, the second period, but uh, after the first period with the Blues on Saturday, what did you think? I think that had to be one of the most disappointing losses of the season. And, and I think over the course of any hockey season or any sporting season for that matter, you, you can look at a handful of games that, that rank in there. And uh, you can forget about those games if you end up making the playoffs and have a chance. Uh, those are the games that are going to sting most if you miss the playoffs. You, you had a two-goal lead. You came out well. Great shot by Sammy Blay. You're trying to pepper a goaltender that had had not played in 19 games. He was on the shelf for 19 games with an injury when Darcy Kemper returned. And uh, you get the first goal, then you get the power play goal. You've got a 2 nothing lead. And it is crazy because Joe and I started the second period. It's like, well, we're about to find out if this is the two-goal lead where the Blues, you know, give it up or, or add to it. And it turns out they gave it up. Um, that was one of those games this year. And there haven't been many of those, Randy. But that was one of those games this year where the top guys didn't get it done for right. you. Yeah, there, there were just not enough in there. I, you know, I, I, you look at you look at the Blues' second line, and I think it was combined four shots on goal. Um, you know, you're, you're you're trying to understand. Okay, where, where, Vladimir Tarasenko, three goals in 19 games now, uh, and 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 since he returned, Jordan Cairo has goals in one because they haven't found a fit where Jordan Cairo is comfortable again, right? All these different types of things. Jaden Schwartz, with just the three goals, had the one shot on goal. Um, and, and you can go top to bottom. And I'm not just labeling those three guys, but, you know, there, there's others. On the defensive side of things, you know, you're still trying to get the puck, you know, out and it's, and it's getting blocked in. Uh, the goaltending was, wasn't strong enough. You, you put all that together and, and, and you falter. And, and so you had 11 shots on goal in the first period. You only had 11 shots on goal the rest of the period. And honestly, I think it's – I'm not even sure the players on the bench can explain why that was, but you, there, there couldn't have been any greater motivation. I mean, you get that game, you got a three-point lead with the Coyotes having only 11 games to go. Mm-hmm. Would have been huge, and now you're chasing them again. Curbs, what do you think Chief will do with the Shen Schwartz-Tarasenko line? Do you keep them together and just hope that they eventually click? I hope uh, – part of me actually hopes they break him up so Alex Ferrario quits trying to say that nickname that drives us nuts. But, um, yeah, and you could, you, you could tell him we said they actually play this for him. The, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I think at some point you're – I'm not – the challenge here, Michelle, and, and, and unfortunately not getting access to the coaches quite as often as we would like or, or maybe even the players, it, it's hard to really understand – where they feel some of the issue is. I know the coaching staff thinks Vladimir is taking too long to get his shot off and then not firing from the right part of the ice. Uh, the, the, the entire team, they'd like to see more net front presence. Uh, you know, Jay, listen, Jaden Schwartz has, has been streaky in the regular season over the last, honestly, two and a half years. So, you know, can he get hot here at the right time? It's a line that should be better than it is. It's a line that has performed. And Craig Berube has, has got the willingness to let that go especially since he really likes what Sammy Blay is doing right now with Perron and O'Reilly. So your only option, your only option is you take one guy off that line and you put Cairo up there or you put Hoffman up there. And, uh, you know, that, that's going to mean checking the ego for one of those guys. And we'll have to see if that happens. But 
it's it's a tough situation for the Blues when you get a couple of guys on one line, especially a critical line like that. Or in this case, all three guys that are finding a hard time scoring, but at least a couple of them that have, have been as streaky as they've been this year. It's a it's a difficult situation to be because you you just don't overcome that. You know, it, it, it's just not like changing one guy out and then no. everybody's good. It's when when it's more than one, it's hard to overcome. Curbs, thanks so much for the time again. Great work yesterday and uh, some time off here. Actually, you're always working, but Thursday night is the next game against Colorado, and we'll be tuned in then. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed. We're able to pull that thing off, and uh, thank you guys. Thank, thanks for talking, Bobby, and have an awesome start to the week. You too. Thanks, Curbs. Okay. Chris, Bye-bye, guys. Chris Kerber with us on 101 ESPN. By the way, I, I wrote down my lines earlier, so I am switching up the line that you talked about. You I'm going to have Shen with Tarasenko and Blay, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to have uh, O'Reilly with Perron and either Hoffman or uh, Sanford, who is ever in there. When Robert Thomas is back on Thursday, I'm going to have Thomas, Schwartz, and Cairo. Interesting. That's going to be my third line. And then, uh, unfortunately, you, you don't have number 70. So you have Bozak uh, between Barbashev and Clifford. So there you go. That's I, what I got. I wonder if Chief's going to try to break it up. or try if he's, something. He's, been, he's tried stuff. Yep. Prior, I, I don't know what the answer is. And to Curb's point, it's got to be difficult for a lot of people in the orbit of the team when you don't have access to the players and right. coaches the way that we used to because there's got to be some reason for the disconnect. I don't know if it's as simple as Vladimir Tarasenko is still trying to get going after returning from an injury and that may have an effect on the line as a whole or if there's something deeper there. But I, it's a problem that needs to be solved and quickly. Coming up on 101 ESPN, we've got The Fight. Stick around. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight. Let's welcome in Randy's competition on this Monday. Brett is with us. What's up, Brett? How we doing, Michelle? I'm doing good, Brett. What was the best part of your weekend? Um, actually, I took my son to my museum for the first time. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds like a great time. Yeah. No <laughs> soccer this weekend, so interesting. I love it. All right, Brett. Well, you're going to take on Randy today, and Randy has that look in his eye on a Monday that he's not messing around, so good luck to you. We're, we're pulling for you, but good luck. Thank you. All right, question number one. Happy 40th birthday to Pro Football Hall of Famer Troy Polamalu. Which NFL team drafted Troy Polamalu 16th overall out of USC in the 2003 NFL Draft? The San Diego Chargers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, or the Kansas City Chiefs? Hmm. I w- let's just go Pittsburgh because I think I don't know if he played his whole career there or not, but let's go Pittsburgh. Max Scherzer passed Cy Young on Friday on the all-time strikeout list and moved into 22nd place with 2,808 strikeouts. Who is the active strikeout leader in MLB? Is it Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, or Zach Greinke? Let's go Verlander. 
Brett, which blue scored a goal in four consecutive Stanley Cup final games? Is it Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, or Braden Shen? Still ROI. And who hit a home run in the first inning off of Roy Halladay in game one of the 2000 NLDS versus the Phillies? 2011. 2011. Just to make sure. For, for Brett, so yes. that he knew. Let me reread that. Who hit a home run in the first inning off of Roy Halladay in game one of the 2011, N- 2011 NLDS versus the Phillies? Was it Albert Pujols, Lance Berkman, David Freeze? Let's go Berkman. Ooh, Brett. Coming in hot on a Monday. Randy's on his way in. Brett, where are you calling from today? Where are you from? Uh, school, actually. I'm a teacher. Oh, you're a teacher. Well, I don't know if you want to reveal where you're teaching because I don't know if that's going to yeah. get, get you in trouble or not. But thank you for being a great educator. Absolutely. Listen to you guys every day. It's awesome. Very cool. What do I you actually th- had a competition with one of my students trying to go back and forth with you guys at one point. Oh, <laughs> no way. About what? On the fight? Yeah, on the fight. We, we, we compete against each other. That is Love very it. cool. Very cool. Well, Randy is here. Randy, say hello to Brett. Hey, Brett, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. And thanks for educating. Always. Yeah. I tell you what, Randy, teachers, I think more than ever, we realize how important teachers yes. are. <laughs> yeah, we thank you and all the teachers out there that have done what you've done over the last year because it's I, I could not have done it, I'll tell you that. Teachers deserve all the credit in the world. All right, Randy, let's jump into the fight. Happy 40th birthday to Pro Football Hall of Famer Troy Palomalu. Which NFL team drafted Palomalu 16th overall out of USC in the 2003 NFL Draft? Your St. Louis Rams didn't think oh, that man. a safety was worthy of the money that went to a 13th pick. So the St. Louis Rams drafted defensive tackle Jimmy Kennedy out of mm. Penn State. And the Pittsburgh Steelers wound up taking Troy Palomalu out of USC. Gosh, people got paid to make that decision. Yep. Paid a lot of money yeah. to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. He's a safety, though. He's not worth the 13th pick in the draft. Jeez. Max Scherzer passed Cy Young on Friday on the all-time strikeout list mm-hmm. and moved into 22nd place with 2,808 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Who is the active strikeout leader in MLB? 2,808 and I will go with, I don't think we have a guy at 3,000. I think I'll go with Max. Randy, which blue scored a goal in four consecutive Stanley Cup final games? Four consecutive Stanley Cup final games. Correct. This is all time, or is this like uh, in the 2019 Stanley Cup? I, Emily. It is all time. Okay. okay. I was going to say, I don't want to say something and say it incorrectly. Okay. So uh, we're going all time here. I'll do the lifeline then. Is it Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, or Braden Chen? Four straight. I'm going to go ROR. And who hit a home run in the first inning off of Roy Halladay in game one of the 2011 NLDS versus the Phillies? Game one, 2011 NLDS. I'm guessing that we probably did this on our dates thing uh first inning yes so you're talking for Carl schumacher and albert i'll play the odds here and go with albert pools a surprise on a monday emily bring it the 
winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. All that training with his students paid off because Brett beat Randy. Brett, you got all four correct to well Randy's done. two. Wow. Congratulations. Excellent work. Wow. <laughs> Great job. Shocked and speechless. All right, well, let's run through our answers here. So it was the Pittsburgh Steelers who drafted Troy Palomalu 16th overall out of USC in the 2003 NFL draft. The active strikeout leader in Major League Baseball is Justin Verlander, 3,013 strikeouts. The Blue that scored a goal in four consecutive Stanley Cup final games is ROR, Ryan O'Reilly. He scored in games four through seven. And the Cardinal, who hit a home run in the first inning off of Roy Halladay in game one of the 2011 NLDS versus the Phillies is the big Puma, Lance Berkman. Ah. Brett, great work, and we will talk to you tomorrow as you defend your title. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. You guys have a great day. All right, Brett, you too. Thank you so much. Next up, Tommy Edmond of uh, the Cardinal offense has had a lot of things thrown his way, and he's handled it all with a plum. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And Michelle, one of the questions coming into this season that has been answered in the affirmative is that Tommy Edmond can be an effective player for the Cardinals. We expected that he was going to be a fine replacement, maybe not a gold glove quality replacement for Colton Wong. I think when he's played second base, he's played to that level. And offensively, 348 on base in the leadoff spot. That's what the Cardinals need. I really like what we've seen of Tommy Edmond so far. Me too, Randy. And so far this season, when we're looking at trends that we've seen, we're looking at Nolan Arenado. We're looking at Yadier Molina and the way that he's been able to consistently produce for the team. We're looking at question marks with the rotation and the outfield production. And lost in all of that, seemingly, is quietly Tommy Edmond putting together a great start to the season. As you mentioned, he's been doing an awesome job setting the table for Goldie and Arenado. And defensively, a lot of people wondered what he was going to be able to do. Well, you know, Colton Wong, gold glove defenseman, and if he was going to be able to bridge that gap. And he has been more than serviceable, not only at second, Randy, but when he's in the outfield, too. I think Tommy Edmond is one of the, one of the more positive developments from this team so far. And one of the things that I was thinking about over the weekend and hey are, are should we ever expect Matt Carpenter to be a, a reasonably effective offensive player I don't I don't expect him to become a reasonably effective offensive player before but what Matt Carpenter has been able to do is draw walks in the leadoff spot during his career if the Cardinals are going to absolutely insist that they're going to play Carpenter they're going to do that then why not try to get him because they aren't running anyway. They they have three stolen bases and Edmund has all of them. <laughs> so if you're if you're going to insist that Carpenter's gonna play and you're gonna insist that Goldschmidt hit second and Arenado hit third, why not move Tommy Edmund down in the order and hit him fifth behind Yachty because he's got more pop than Carpenter will ever have. He can generate more offense down there in the five hole and then just hope that Carpenter can take some walks for you in the leadoff spot. I again it, with the way the offense is going, it's not worth it. Now, it's not worth it. it you, it's worth a try to, to do it. I don't 
think it'll work out, but it's worth a try. I like where your head's at there. Matt Carpenter has historically had his most success with the Cardinals in the leadoff position. And as you said, take away the argument of whether Carpenter should play or not out of out of this discussion, because if the Cardinals are going to play him, you're going to have to figure out a way to try to extract the most out of him. And if he can get in there, take some good at bats, get a walk, why not? Get somebody on base, set the table for Goldie and for Arenado. And I love the idea of potentially moving Tommy Edmond down and getting some more production generated out of that position in the lineup. In our last full season, Carpenter had 316 plate appearances as a leadoff hitter. And even though he only hit 204, he still got on base 31% of the time. With the way things are going... If I could get that 348 from Edmund and hope that I can get a little bit more in terms of selectivity out of Carpenter, uh, I, I would try it. And by the way, I wouldn't be playing him. But right. this to me is just part of the versatility of Tommy Edmund. I think that he can lead off. I think that he could hit fifth. He can play second. He can play right. Everything that Tommy Edmund has been asked to do at the major league level, he's been able to handle. And what a weapon for Mike Schilt to have, because imagine if Tommy Edmund didn't have that versatility, where would the Cardinals be right now if you didn't have someone that has been so reliable for you that you can plug and play in different spots? What would it be now? While I do like the idea of trying to potentially get more out of Carpenter in the leadoff spot, I it also kind of bugs me that Tommy Edmond is having success there that you would want to potentially disrupt that at all. Well, and my other thing is I don't think that Carpenter has a chance to get better. I do think that Justin Williams has a chance to get a little bit better. If I were managing and I'm not, Mike Schilt is a smarter baseball man than I am. I would want to go with the guy who has more upside. And I think Williams has more upside than Carpenter does as an offensive player. And for his part, Williams has watched Edmund play a lot and likes playing with him. I mean, honestly, it starts from, you know, number one. I feel like Tommy's, you know, really good in the leadoff spot. You know, we just had a tough night. You know, for tomorrow we can bounce back. And that was when Williams hit the home run on Friday night. And Edmund is great at setting the table. I wish the Cardinals would utilize him more in trying to run, hit and run especially with Goldschmidt, who can get his bat on the ball, stealing bases. I would like to see the Cardinals take a few more chances in trying to manufacture a runner to that as well. Randy from the 757, what the hell? What are you guys smoking? Has the front office hired you guys for Matt Carpenter's PR? Lead off laughable. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you are absolutely going to insist that he's going to be in the lineup, and I, I don't know that the Cardinals would hire us to say, no, we don't want the guy in the lineup. But I said... And listen closely now. If the Cardinals are going to insist, I wouldn't have him in the lineup. But with the dearth of production that you have in the five, six, seven holes, you're better off with Edmund down there and trying to get some production out of Matt Carpenter. I don't know where you would ever get that. I wish the Cardinals would not play him to say that we are hired by the Cardinals as PR guys for him. Uh, if you can text back and tell us how you were able to equate those two, I'd love to understand your reasoning. This might surprise you, Randy, but it seems like a lot of people just hear what they want to hear. They don't actually listen. Okay. They just hear what they want to hear. They're not actually listening yeah. to what you're saying. Again, if the Cardinals are going to insist, if they're going to play the guy, there might be better lineup combinations 
with Edmund down in the lineup because Edmund can do things that Carpenter can't. At this point, he's a switch hitter and he's got more pop. And at the top of the lineup, if you aren't going to run, you don't need as much pop. And what you have to hope, 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 is that he can get back to a spot where he can walk and maybe get you a 320 on base. And again, we're reaching for things here. But when Matt Carpenter went on his MVP run, he was batting leadoff. And there were conversations after that when he was moved in the lineup about feeling comfortable in that spot. And this is such a a minuscule thought in the grand scheme of things, Mm. but maybe he's comfortable in the leadoff spot. And maybe that could be something that could spark him from a production standpoint. I think it's worth at least exploring or at least having the conversation. Do I think ultimately it's going to be a, a slam dunk move? Likely not this is where we're at with this offense we're trying to figure out a way to extract something out of matt carpenter that's michelle i'm randy and coming up the blues lost a cruncher to the coyotes on saturday so as we would ask brad thompson where do they go from here hope they don't do what he suggested that's next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn It is 9.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy with you. Time for today's big thing. And the question, Michelle, is where do the blues go from here? Famously, not famously (laughs) enough so that we have audio of it, but famously, uh, a writer once asked Brad Thompson after a bad outing, so where do you go from here? And BT said something to the effect of, I don't know, go kick some puppies? (laughs) Or a puppy. And then the next day, Tony LaRusso brought him into his office because the quote was in the newspaper. And uh, Brad came out of the office with the agreement that he would adopt a dog. Tony LaRusso, noted dog lover, (laughs) as we know, his work with ARF. I can't imagine he was pleased seeing that in print. (laughs) So where do the blues go from here? Well... There's a lot of things that need to happen, and the captain, Ryan O'Reilly, said one of the things that needs to happen is their best players need to be their best players. Yeah, you know, I look at, you know, I you know, I don't feel good about my game tonight, Tom. You know, I feel got to find a way to generate more, and even if not generating, at least being very hard to play against, and I don't think I had enough of that tonight. And I know other guys, uh, seeping minutes too, I think we all kind of feel it right now. It's, it's our job. You know, guys are seeing the big minutes. We have to, you know, be driving the bus here, and you know, that's the only way we're going to get into the playoffs. So it's, um, you know, we're going to, you know, I think we'll get it back. You know, it's no doubt in my mind that we will. But, uh, you know, it's got to happen soon. Got to happen next game. If they're driving the bus, can we get the foot on the on the gas pedal? What kind of bus are we driving here, Michelle? I was just going to say, I hope it's not the panic bus. I hope we're not taking an RV down south to relax. I hope that, as Ricky Bobby says, that they go fast because I want to feel a sense of urgency from this team. And Ryan O'Reilly, as we've heard many times this season, always going to put the blame on his shoulders. He's wearing the C, and I respect that out of him, but it's it's more than him. It's more than him, and we need the the players that are paid to be the stars and paid to be the players in moments like this when you're having a critical game versus the Coyotes to show up. So how did the Blues regroup from what happened on Saturday? Yeah, the you know the folks has got to be you know one game at a time, one period at a time. Again, you know we don't want to be watching the score you know the scoreboard and and such we want to really focus on our game and be playing our best hockey and you know we got a few good days of practice here but uh yeah you know the focus is win the next game 
see where we're at and, and keep fighting from there. Pro tip, one period at a time does include the second period. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> let's One period at a time. Let's not remove any periods from no. that equation. <laughs> no. Yeah, we'll be fine in the first. We'll be fine in the third. So we'll do those one at a time. Now, let's include the second here. And it's frustrating, too, because you're watching that game and the Blues did come off to a a good start. They obviously get on the board twice in the first, but you still didn't feel like it was there. You still you still did not feel comfortable with the two goal lead. And I know a lot of people never really do. It's the least safe lead in sports. Right. But still, it it's something that in that moment in that game, when you know a playoff spot is on the line, and this is as much of a must-win game as you have all season, for you to not be able to show that sense of urgency throughout the entire game, that's problematic. And I have difficulty drawing positives out of what happened on Saturday. But contrary to me, to me here's one of the players, Tyler Bozak. You know, I thought we did we did some good things out there. Um, obviously, uh, we need to have a better second period, like I like I said before. Um, you know, we'll watch the watch the tape, um, find out the things that we need to improve on, get better at, and find out the things that we need to keep doing well. It is late April. We are less than a month away from the end of the season. We are beyond watch the tape and figure out what we can get better at. We are at a point where you got to play hard. you got to play with urgency. You have to play 60 minutes of hockey. You have to play with intensity. You aren't good enough to just throw the pucks out on the ice and come away with a victory. You have to go into the corners. You have to win puck battles. You have to have net front presence. You have to get people going to the front of the net. And you have to play solid defense, and that includes maintaining possession of the puck in the offensive zone. There's no excuse, no excuse whatsoever for the Blues not to win that battle, the offensive puck possession battle in the offensive zone against Arizona. Just no excuse whatsoever. And especially in the second period, but for much of the game, well, I I won't say the first period, for the, the second and third periods combined, Arizona took it to the Blues in their offensive zone. The Blues couldn't get the puck out of their own zone, let alone maintain possession in the offensive zone. So there's a lot of issues. Now, Michelle, I want you to react uh, to what Doug Armstrong said. This this was on Friday when talking about this division, because I I talked earlier about pressing the reset button. But I want you to glean what you can from this comment from the Blues' Poho. When you look at our division... Clearly, statistically, and the Colorado and, and Vegas have have separated themselves from the rest of the group, uh, and it's it's the responsibility now for for our team to prove that we can play with those teams if we get into the postseason. And certainly, we have to we have to play with Colorado uh, starting next next week uh, to to make the postseason. But I would I would say you get a steady dose of those teams. You know what you know what makes them tick, and there's no surprises now when you play anybody. He's absolutely right. If you want to be a playoff team or if you're a team that while you're in this three to five year window where you think that you are capable of winning a Stanley Cup, that's the team that you have to measure yourself against, whether it's Vegas or Colorado. And do I think the Blues right now are better teams than Vegas or Colorado? No, absolutely not. I think if you have both teams at full strength playing their games that the Blues likely lose to both of their team, both of those teams. But I do think the Blues are capable of being much better than they are right now. And the talent is one thing. 
that you can look at on paper and and wonder if the team doesn't measure up. But when it comes to playing your style and dictating the tempo and the sense of urgency and the will to win and going out there and playing physical, those are controllable factors. And if I could look at the Blues heading into those matchups and say, well, the things that they can control, I know that they're doing, I would feel much more comfortable about them playing Vegas or Colorado. But those are things that they're not doing right now. It's not just a talent disparity. No. And and yes, granted, the Blues did have the injury issues, but the injured guys are back. And I got the vibe Saturday, and I have a lot of times, of the, the bubble last year in Edmonton. That's kind of what this team is looking like to me. And granted, there have been a lot of changes. You lost Petro and you have different players. But just from the the efforts displayed, from the aspect of them playing with a sense of urgency, what I saw Saturday and what I've seen a lot lately when they have to win games is too much like what we saw in the bubble last year. And I am not one to be big on excuses but i think that bubble scenario was so unique and it was something that i i don't blame that team for going into that environment and not being able to manufacture the energy for so many reasons think about everything that was going on in the world at that time you're having to leave your family you're going into this really sterile environment where there's not the energy that you had just experienced when you won the cup the season before and They were playing so well, too, before they were disrupted that I look at the bubble and I'm willing to throw that out. None of those same excuses should apply right now. None of those excuses should apply right now. And good teams, Randy, and good players take failure and they take mistakes and they're able to learn something from them and adapt. So if you're seeing similar traits from this team that you saw in the bubble, that's not the growth you should expect. One other thing, and... I go back to Bob Plager. Bob Plager always said, hey, if if you see a guy a lot and he shows up throughout the course of the game, he's probably had a pretty good game or a really bad game. But if you, if you see a guy that has played well and he shows up a lot and you say, wow, that guy, whatever number, he's played a lot. He's been around the puck. He's been doing the job. He's been hustling. How much do you see 91? Not enough. No, no, it's it, he spends a lot of time invisible during the game. And the expectation of Vladimir Tarasenko is extraordinary. And it's extraordinary because he's extraordinarily talented. Mm-hmm. But he has to get the most out of his talent. He has to show up in games because all due respect to Ryan O'Reilly and Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen, all great players. Troy Kruger has been a great player with Boston in the past. Bennington. The guy who can put the blues on his back, the one player that they have that's capable of taking over a game is 91. And we don't see enough of him. Absolutely. However, I tried to look at 91 with a heavy dose of reality coming back from his latest shoulder surgery. And I, even though he is seemingly fine and there have been glimpses of the old Vladimir Tarasenko since he returned. I don't really have the same expectations of him as I once did and I don't really think it's fair to. But he was given the full rehab. The the Blues said that he was good enough to come back. They actually gave him a little bit more time than they thought that he needed. Ruby said he's got to tell me. He told them when he was ready. Now he's played 14 games since he's been back and still not seeing it. Now 
Maybe he's still hurt. And if he is, if he's still hurt, then there's no way to protect him. But he's played that many games and then played, what, less than five games a year and a half prior combined? Well, it's, it's I don't know, it's just a very small sample size over a long and, period of time. Yeah, but his the expectation for him, whether fair or not, is going to be extraordinarily high. And at the very least, his legs should allow him to be quite visible during games. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I personally have not seen enough. I just want to see more. I, I, I would love to see more. I'm with you. I would love to see more. And you know what? That list of people that I want to see more out of on this team is fairly yeah. long. It's hey, too long. Your uh, Army always says, your best players got to be your best players. And Ryan O'Reilly said, nope, they, they aren't right now. They got to be their best. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we know that Indiana recently hired Mike Woodson to be their head basketball coach. And prior to that hire, there was a lot of talk. The streets were talking that Indiana was pursuing Brad Stevens. We know that he had obviously had a lot of success in the college ranks before he went to coach the Celtics. And things weren't great with him in Boston. There was a lot of people wondering if he was the right person for the job in Boston. And now Woj has a little Woj bomb, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN. They said that Indiana was prepared to make Brad Stevens a seven-year $70 million contract offer. Mm. And he was not interested. So just to compare, that would make that deal would have made Brad Stevens the highest paid coach in college basketball by an, annual salary. He would have made more than Mike Krzyzewski. He would have made more than John Calipari. And it seems like he would have made at least comparable to or more than he's making in Boston. It also would have made him, the because he would make more than Nick Saban, the highest paid public employee in America. That tells you a lot about where the University of Indiana is, as far as I'm concerned. The fact that he just summarily shut that down and said, nope, I'll, I'll stay with the NBA. Now, maybe it says more about the NBA and Tatum, actually, than it does Indiana. But I think that's going to be a tough spot for, for Mike Woodson or anybody who takes that job. Because if you're 16 or 17 now, if you're a, a young basketball player, you don't remember Indiana being great. Right. So it's going to be hard, I, I would think, to bring that back reasonably quickly. And if you're Brad Stevens, even if the seat is hot in the NBA, you're living in a bigger city, you you might have to deal with more from a media standpoint or a pressure standpoint, but you're not having to recruit, you're not having to rebuild something from the ground up, yeah. especially an entire program like Indiana with expectations that are probably outsized. It just seems like an undesirable thing for someone like him, and I'm with you. I think it's going to be a tough task for Woodson as well, but when I saw that number, my initial thought was, Smart for Brad Stevens to turn it down because I don't think that's the right job for him. But also, if he was offered seven years, $70 million, whatever job that he would get offered in college next, if he ever did (laughs) want to go back, that's the starting point in the conversation, no? Good point. Which is ridiculous Yeah, that he would be able to command that. I wonder if with the hiring of Woodson, if Indiana was looking at Michigan and saying, well, they brought back a former star Mm -hmm. in Juwan Howard and they won with him. I, I wonder how much of a copycat situation that was Patrick Ewing in Georgetown. There's a couple of other mm-hmm. former players that are succeeding with uh, their former teams. I wonder if Woodson was that th- same thought process at Indiana. I would say 
the chances of that are high because that's what happens in sports. Yeah. It's, it's always a copycat game. I, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the M, M, or excuse me, the NFL, whether it's, uh, you know, oh, here's the hotshot offensive coordinator and he's having success. Mm-hmm. We want to duplicate this. And maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But I just think Indiana is one of those programs that we've talked about that is going to have to reshift who they think they are and what they can be. And when you look across the landscape of the Big Ten in basketball, there's a lot of good teams and a lot yeah. of good programs there. So I understand why Indiana would say, why can't we do this? But it's not a quick fix. No, it's not. And dominating in the Big Ten like Bobby Knight did because of what you said. Michigan's great now. Ohio State's great now. Illinois has bounced back. They're great now. You've got so many really Michigan uh, Michigan State with Izzo's great. Nobody's going to dominate the Big Ten anymore. Nobody. No, it's going to be very Except difficult. Except for your <laughs> you know, they, they were good, Randy. They didn't they dominate. Great. They had a lot of competition in the Big yeah. Ten. You're killing me, Smalls. So in one of the more ridiculous stories going through the news cycle right now, we talked about this a little bit last week. Trevor Lawrence was in the cover story for Sports Illustrated, and he had a quote that got a lot of people talking and psychoanalyzing him and his desire and his motivating factors. He said in the article, quote, it's hard to explain because I want people to know and I'm passionate about what I do, and it's really important to me talking about football, but I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder and everyone's out to get me and I'm trying to prove everybody wrong. I just don't have that, and I can't manufacture that and I don't want to a lot of people then questioning if he's going to have the desire needed for a franchise quarterback and if he's going to gel well with Urban Meyer when he's inevitably selected in Jacksonville Urban obviously being known to be maniacal when it comes to devoting himself to football and preparing and Trevor Lawrence has now had to put out a series of tweets Randy to address this quote Would you like to hear them? Yeah, I would. Okay. I didn't know if you had anything to add before I went into this. So Trevor Lawrence tweets, It seems as if people are misreading my sentiment. I am internally motivated. I love football as much or more than anyone. It is a, in all caps, huge priority in my life, obviously. I am driven to be the best I can be and to maximize my potential and to win. I have a lot of confidence in my work ethic. I love to grind and chase my goals. You can ask anyone who's been in my life. That being said, I am secure in who I am and what I believe. I don't need football to make me feel worthy as a person. I purely love the game and everything that comes comes with it. The work, the team, the ups and downs. I'm a firm believer in the fact that there's a plan for my life and I'm called to be the best I can be at whatever I'm doing. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk, LOL. <laughs> Lewis Riddick, who's interviewed for several general manager jobs in the NFL, with his response to Trevor Lawrence's comments, should have taken himself out of the running for every general manager's job in the NFL to say that this is a red flag. Because by extension, If this is a red flag for you, if Trevor Lawrence saying that there are things more important to him than football or as important to him than football, if that's a red flag, then by extension, don't you have to take Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell off of your board because they didn't play in 2020? Didn't play at all? Good counterpoint. So... If that's a red flag, him saying something after losing two games in college during his career as a quarterback, these guys not if actions speak louder than words, these guys told you they didn't want to compete in 2020 by their actions. I think that is the the worst case of embrace debate that I've ever seen. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, and the mothership should be ashamed of having that discussion. It's ridiculous. 
I appreciate the transparency from Trevor Lawrence in that moment. <laughs> he's been the best player on likely every team that he's ever played on. His talent has always spoke for itself. And clearly, you don't go to Clemson. You don't win national championships. You don't get to be as good as he is on just talent alone. Clearly, the work ethic has got to be there as well. They have to work in concert with one another. But when you are that good and you've been told your entire life you're that good, how do you manufacture a chip on your shoulder? How do you feel like you're slighted or overlooked? It's impossible. So I appreciate him acknowledging the fact that he's been this good his entire life. Ms. Smallman, yes. I have a two-part question. Go ahead. Shoot. How many Super Bowls did Kurt Warner start? Two, right? Three. Three. Oh, three. Yes, excuse me. Three. And would you suggest that football is the most important thing in Kurt Warner's life? No. No chance. I would say his family, his faith. Uh, I would have mentioned pouring back into the community. All of those things are at least tied for first. Yeah. At least tied for yeah. first. So come on. Give me a break. Yeah. It's it's just we've gotten ridiculous we when, it, when it comes to it's this stupid. stuff. And I know that we're a part of it because we're talking about it right now. And I know that a lot of our shows and what we do as a living, we have time to fill. We've got to, we've got to talk about things. And when someone's as highly touted as Trevor Lawrence, speaking of manufacture, we're trying to manufacture talking. I think we should denigrate him as a person or as a football player or question his love for the game because he said that he's never been slighted. Ridiculous. It is. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, speaking of embracing debate, here's a topic, Randy, that no one needs to manufacture because people are up in arms about this. We're going to talk a little bit about soccer, okay? So yesterday... Talking about my hot spurs, Coise? Talking about... We're going to talk about them. So yesterday, it was announced that 12 European soccer clubs announced that they're forming a new Super League. Three other clubs are going to eventually be added before the inaugural season. And a lot of people are thinking that this is just a cash grab. They, th- This has been panned universally. Across the world, people are looking at this. So the founding clubs are AC Milan, Arsenal, boo, boo. Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Barcelona, or Barcelona, Inter Milan, Juventus, Liverpool, Man City, Manchester United, Real Madrid, and Tottenham, your hot spurs, okay? So the teams are going to be secure in this league, which, very important, means they don't face relegation. In turn, that means that they're going to make cash no matter what. And a lot of people are... Of course, involved. Of course. A lot of people are looking at this, and they're saying, well, the threat of relegation is what makes this great. And if, if you're looking at EPL and UEFA, how is this going to impact those leagues? And it's getting really, really crushed this idea. Internationally, people are upset about this. But they're going to be all in because of what you said. It's the money. It's no different than the college conferences, is it? Building super conferences, the SEC, the Pac-12, Big Ten, everybody did the same thing. And that seems like what they're doing here is it's survival of the fittest, and the fittest are moving forward in this league. And yeah, it's not going to be the same, but you will have more games with those premier squads playing against each other. So that part will be an advantage. If you are a fan of one of the lesser teams, I can understand that you're bummed out. But it's actually pretty good for the sport.
Oh, I completely disagree. I think that these teams getting together, if you're that concerned about relegation and about potentially losing money, play better. None of these teams will ever be relegated, though. None of them. But but why then are you trying to form this Super League so that you don't have to worry about it? It's because of money. But to me, when I watch EPL, I love I love that that exists. I think I wish that I um, American sports leagues would embrace stuff like that. If you're going to tank, you should have to suffer for it. But the thing is, with those teams specifically, and those are the teams that we really, really know. Those teams, they don't want to share with franchises that have the chance to be relegated. And it's going to be 12 teams sharing a huge preponderance of the money. And how, how many are left out here? Are 22 left out, I think? Something like that. It will become survival of the fittest. But those to- those franchises won't make nearly as much money as a group as the 12 in the Super League will. But a lot of these teams haven't been good in a long time. These, oh, while, while they're named teams, for instance, Arsenal yep. has not been good in a while. They haven't finished at the top in a while. So why should they just automatically be given a pass? Because of their history. That's why. But that's ridiculous. That's like if the NFL was going to do it, the Cowboys haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1995. But if you're going to take the top 12 NFL teams to make money, you're taking the Cowboys. Right. Okay, so that'll be interesting. If you were going to form a Super League in the NFL, which 12 teams are you picking? I could do it. Probably couldn't do it off the top of my head, but I could pick a dozen. You want to try? And then we can maybe think about it more tomorrow for baseball? Yeah, sure. Okay, Uh, let's go NFL. Cowboys. All right. You let have me, to have the New Yorks, let, right? Let me write this down. Do You're going to put the Cowboys? Jets no, in? Co- oh, my God. Co- come on. Cowboys, Giants. Okay. Hold on. Let me write these down so that I know how many we have. Okay. Cowboys, Giants. Eagles. I think I think it's insane, though, that the Cowboys is the first team we name. Think about that. They have not been great in a long time. But they have not won in a long time. It's not about wins and losses, Michelle. That's not. Ugh. This thing isn't about wins and losses. So it's Cowboys, Giants. Actually, Washington football team makes a lot of money, and they've got a great history. Okay, uh, we got to throw the Steelers in there. Steelers, Patriots. But the Pats might not be good for a while. Okay, so we got the... But they make money. We've got those. So and, the Cowboys, the Giants, true. the Steelers, the Pats, and the Washington football team. Okay, Packers. Well, Packers, definitely. I would throw the Bears in the mix. Yep. What are we up to? Which is insane. That's yeah. seven. So we're up to eight. No, no. I have Cowboys, Giants, Steelers, Pats, Washington football team, Packers, Bears. I have seven. Okay. Steelers. I, I mentioned Steelers. the Steelers. Yeah. We no, have we seven. Got, we have, so, so we've we have got seven. seven, so we've got five to go here. Okay. Okay, so I don't think you take anybody from the AFC West. I'll do respect. Kansas City, Denver. Oh, you put the Raiders in there. Raiders are one of the teams. Okay. Because they make money. So that's um, eight. Chargers, no. So what about the Dolphins? The, Only undefeated team in the history of the NFL, Randy. Yeah, if we're talking we'll, history. We'll see. Dolphins, Jets, Bills. The Dolphins would be on the edge. Uh, Colts, no. Jags, no. Texans, no. Titans, no. Uh, Ravens, they'll be in that maybe group. How are you not going to put the Chiefs in? I know we're talking history, but Patrick Mahomes is on the team. He needs to be a part of the Super League. But Patrick Mahomes isn't playing forever. That's the thing. We're looking 50 years down the road here. This is about, but, see, but this is why it's so this ridiculous. Is, this is legacy. 
But we're, but we're suggesting that just because the Cowboys were good in the 90s that they deserve a bid in a Super League more than Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, because who could be in the middle of a dynasty right now, when could be happening in real time. Every single t- time the Cowboys are on TV, it's a national TV game. They're the most popular team. They've got the biggest fan base. I would like to see those metrics because I don't know if they are, in fact, America's team anymore. Why do you think Joe and Troy do every every Cowboy game? when Fox Because Jerry them? runs the league. And they have a big but they're still stadium. Really, they get great TV ratings. Hmm. Okay, so we still need four teams here. Okay. We've got the Cowboys, the Giants, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Washington football team, the Packers, the Bears, and the Raiders. And I'm okay. upset about this. I I hate to do this. The they Saints? also said Eagles. I didn't say the Eagles, did you? Randy said Eagles. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'll put Philly in there. Okay, Eagles, fine. Um, what about the Saints? Saints ahead of the Bucks, ahead of the Panthers, ahead of the Falcons. I do have the Saints in there. Okay, two spots remain. Um, Niners. Okay, duh, they're in. Slam dunk. I'm good with that. And I think if you're building a Super League, I think you have to have, as bad as it is, with the league as it's presently constituted, I think you have to have the, the L.A. Rams in there. Because <laughs> wow. I think you need to have Chicago, New York, L.A. Wow, Randy. Wow. I'm I'm trying to be objective here. Okay, well, I if I'm looking at the history of the league and I'm looking at teams that have won in the past and that can also potentially win in the future because that's something that I'm certainly taking into account. I'm going to lean more on teams that are winning in real time slash have won in real time if I'm going to be building something that's going to maintain interest in the future. And I'm looking at teams like the Chiefs or the Seahawks to get that final bid. Seattle's interesting because that's a growing market. See, I, I just—I mean, are we going to throw for, Denver in there because of Elway? No, but but then but the Rams are going to get the nod just because of the market size. Market size, yeah. <sighs> and they do have—I know that your history with them is bad, and they moved, but they did have a pretty good forty-nine-year run in LA. Our history, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so. still, think about how shameful that is. Some of these teams, the Cowboys getting the bid. Oh, I know. The Giants. I yep. mean, the Giants have a great history, I, but my whole the thing Washington is, football team, Dan Snyder just but they gets still in. Make, I'll bet you if we. They don't com- even sell out their yeah. games. I'll bet you if we compare this list to Forbes' most valuable franchises, I'll bet you at least of these 12, I'll, I'll bet you they're all within the top 15, top half of the league in terms of franchise value. But I've read so many articles about how DC is app and can't how they can't even sell tickets anymore. But they won't be forever. That's just now. That's not going to be forever. But how long is Dan Snyder going to run, run the team? That's a good question. And but it's a legacy franchise. <sighs> it is. It's. Uh, I think this conversation is going to be really interesting if we pivot to baseball tomorrow, because well. Do, do the Yankees make it? They've won once in the last 21 years. I think I think the Yankees are secure <laughs> in the Super League. And, you know, we'll I do don't want to go on a, on a limb here, but I think yeah. the Yankees are in. We'll, we'll do it for baseball tomorrow. Okay, good. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals' offense has been really feast or famine. Is this an issue that they're going to have to deal with all year long? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Yeah.
Dan McLaughlin has entered the studio. I want you to know this is a, a personal appeal from me because I want you to know that everybody, everybody can get the vaccine now if you head to the Dome. From 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, including Saturday and Sunday. No appointment required. Insurance not required. Show up. Get your shots. Free parking at 6th and Cole. Use entrance C, the corner of Broadway and Cole. The Pfizer vaccine for free for everyone. Thanks to uh, our friends at FEMA. So 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Dome. So you don't get down to the Dome very often anymore. But if you want a vaccine, you can. No appointment necessary. There you go. So now we know via radio. Uh, Danny Mack, how was your weekend? It was great. You know, uh, Cardinals said one good game, not so great the other two they're kind of riding a roller coaster offensively really is it's up and down it's hit and miss feast famine whatever you want to say but you know saturday was awesome when you had the two innings when you went back to back with the home runs molina keeps hitting like he is uh yesterday aaron no i said to jimmy Edmonds before the game i said i think aaron nola is going to throw a no hitter today wow <laughs> i told patrick on saturday after they had the big outburst i said nola will shut him out tomorrow i said <laughs> I, I had no hitter so we were on the same page he was really good um but unfortunately they couldn't uh couldn't muster much against him and regroup in washington it's early i mean i i know that we get sick of hearing that the cardinals are seven and eight um the, the, I'll tell you the series I was really paying attention to is the Dodgers and the Padres. That was great. That weekend series was awesome. That was like a playoff series between those two teams. And they do not like each other. The, no. The animosity is evident when you watch them play. It is. I think it's been building up all offseason, mm-hmm. and it carried over to that first weekend. It was it was and fun baseball to watch. With Bauer in the one eye. Yeah, that's right. So it was fun to watch. Yeah. I think baseball needs more of that. I, I love that it's too – well, rivalry – is made usually by geography, but it's also when te- teams are really good and both teams are really good and there's animosity there. And I love that for baseball. I've always felt like if you're going to have a great rivalry, you got to have villains. Mm-hmm. I think villains are fun in sports. I oh. think it's great in sports. Agreed. And if you're the, you know, if you're from the Padre, Padres perspective, they're the champions and Bauer doing his thing. Like he struck out, I think it was Machado and he started banging his mm-hmm. chest and walking off. And, you know, he's, He's definitely a villain. I think when you look at the other side, Tatis with the flash that he plays with, even though I love it, he, if you were playing him, he'd be a villain. Uh, Machado's a villain. Hosmer's kind of a villain. Tommy Fan always has a, a chip on his shoulder. Uh, there's a lot that goes to it. And I guess when you look at it from the Padres' perspective, too, they they went out and did so much. I mean, when you get Tatis and extend him and you get Blake Snell and you get you Darvish, there's expectations, too. And that, I think that's part of the rivalry as well. By the way, Tommy Pham with a big RBI double yesterday. Yeah, he's they're they're good, man. They're going to be it's going to be nip and tuck yeah, back and fun. forth. I think all all season long with those two. Yeah, I, I like seeing that, and I don't think that there's a team even with the Padres that can hang with the Dodgers. And Michelle I so and I were either. talking about it earlier. Everybody else after the Dodgers from numbers two through thirteen is separated by three games. So you get in. Maybe you get a lucky game, some guys off in the playoffs, and your guys get hot, and that's how you're going to have to win. Because looking at it over the – I always remember Tony saying, Tony LaRusso, he'd say, full 162 tells you who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right. I, I, I totally think he's right. I mean, by the time it all comes out, you know, you're 10 games above, that's who you are. If you're 10 below, that's who you are. If you're 500, you're 500. That's who you are. So, you know, from the Cardinals' perspective, we're 15 games in. I think what I'm seeing for sure is that they clearly miss, I mean clearly miss, um, healthy KK at the start, mm-hmm. Michaelis at the start. Uh, Their hitting has been, you know, actually the metrics would tell you the hitting has actually been pretty good. But as a team, they're batting 221. Right. And they're in the top five of a lot of metrics 
in baseball with hard hit percentage, barrel rate, all those things that you look towards analytically where you say, well, you should be better than you are. Well, maybe that'll come out in the wash. We'll find out. But in terms of the injuries, injuries have hurt them, and they got, they got to get healthy um, hopefully sooner rather than later. I made the suggestion earlier, and if, if you don't listen, then it can sound ridiculous. But Tommy Edman is an effective player. If they aren't going to run – the one place where we have seen Matt Carpenter be reasonably productive in his no. career is leadoff. No, you don't. You don't take no. a chance on him taking a walk. No, because it takes three hits to bring him in. But you're hitting Goldschmidt and Arenado behind. I him. don't care. Takes three hits to bring him in. If you were hitting somebody else second, I would feel that way. But with those two, it should take only two. Well, you're hoping for bombs on every single time yeah, you that he's up. But you, you can count on that. It's been frustrating to watch Matt. Matt had a tough game yesterday. He's two for 29 right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, my, my point was, if they were insisting on playing him. I don't think they're insisting. I think they're just trying any which way to get something out of him. And and now I, I think this is a new week, new series. I'll be really interested to see what they do. I would rather see Edmund at second and Williams in the outfield. I think that's probably the direction that you may have to go after watching the weekend for sure. Yeah. And by the way, when they do get Harrison Bader back, and we've seen the issues in the outfield defense, at the very least, they should be better defensively in the outfield when they get him back. Absolutely. I, I think that definitely helps you, but that's been poor this year. Yeah, it you really know, has, surprisingly, you know, for this team. Lane Thomas the other day had a terrible game in center. There's no other way to put it to the point that he was sent to the alternate site. And then you look at the game on Friday, and I'm not saying Carlos Martinez was great because he wasn't, but he had four perfect innings and he had the one bad inning, which was the six runs. What happened in that inning? Carpenter's play on, under his glove. Why does that happen? Tommy Edmonds playing right field. You had Dylan Carlson losing a ball in twilight with the wind blowing in. Got to be caught. And all of a sudden, you look up, it, it, good teams make you pay. And in mm-hmm. Major League Baseball, they make you pay. Even the worst teams do. You give them extra outs, they're going to score. Yeah, that and is, that, that was the game. Yeah, that, that is so atypical of a Mike Schiltz team. But yeah. I think it's a lot of it is inexperience on the part of Carlson and not having played the position and not being a great defender on Car- in Carpenter's case, too. It, that Those two things combined and then hitting the, uh, Carlos hit a couple of guys. Well, that was the thing. I you know Some people were pointing to me and saying, well, how could you be down on Carlos? I, I said, look, I'm not making excuses, but here's what happened. The defense was poor behind him, but on his shoulders was the bases loading hitting the pitcher. Especially 0-2. Yeah. That that's yeah. nobody else's fault. That's him, and he hit another guy, and he walked a couple. So that's you know, good ones figure out a way to get through those yeah, things. Exactly. You know. By the way, you, we, we, I just want to give you the numbers here. Feast or famine. Uh, Cardinal wins. They average seven point four runs a game. Cardinal losses. They average two point three seven. Yikes. So five more runs a game in wins than losses. They're averaging, I think, five runs a game right yeah. now this year. If you if you average five runs a game. You should be in most games. Yeah. If you average, five, if the Cardinals average five runs a game, they're dominant. Yeah, that's what the case was last year. Remember, the magic number for them four. last year was four. Uh-huh. Yep, that's right, because their pitching was so good. But it's kind of like the Carpenter thing with Edmund in right field. Now, by the way, Tommy Edmund has played a sensational right field. Yeah, he's he's done a really nice job. He's he's really improved as a player at the plate too. But it's Robin Peter to pay Paul. So you got Gant in your rotation. You got Carlos Martinez in your rotation. Um, you had Ponce de Leon in your rotation. And those are guys that would have helped you in your bullpen, right. lengthen games, right. 
so, you know, it, they got to get healthy. I think that's the main thing is that you hold out hope that they get healthy. And Michael is, fingers crossed, KK is better than what he was the other day. And I, I'm I'm a big fan of Johan Oviedo. I want to see him in, in there again. And I, if I had my preference, I'd, I'd prefer him as a starter. I'm with you. Yeah. I agree. You mentioned Tommy Edmond. We talked today about how in um, kind of the loss of the, in the shuffle of the season so far is what a nice start. Talking is hard. What a nice start Tommy Edmond has put together. And I remember you saying that he was someone that you thought coming into the season was going to surprise a lot of people. He was my guy. And he's just so smart to make adjustments. I'm noticing so much of his adjustments in two things. On a changeup, I think he's better. Numbers may not show that, but he is better. And the other thing is when he does not, when he decides to swing, it's swinging at strikes and he's not swinging at much. It falls outside the zone. So that's an adjustment he's made and he's been awfully good. On my very best day, my sharpest, smartest day of my life, I couldn't have gotten into Stanford. No, me neither. He no, did. me either. Yeah, he's, no he's a bright dude, man. He is. What do we got coming up? Uh, Dave Jagler, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Nationals, good buddy of mine, and he'll be coming up uh, at about 10, 15 or so. Looking forward to that. That's Dan. Great job today by our producer-engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun on a Monday. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll be back at it tomorrow. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.